0: We're so grateful that you are a God who hears us and answers us. And now as we go to your word, um, uh, I submit myself to you. Uh, I want to speak exactly as uh, you would have me speak, that uh, nothing would uh, would I say that would displease you or dishonor you. Father, uh, make this this passage come alive to each and every one of us and uh, I would pray that uh, it changes hearts and uh, that it changes mine as well. Uh, we thank you uh, for your grace and mercy to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're continuing on in the book of Colossians. And where we come to today is Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And that should be printed in your bulletin. And you can uh, follow along there or go to your Bibles, Colossians 2. Colossians 4, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote this. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with the attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that I may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Uh, Many years ago, it became evident to me that the success or failure of our business uh, rested almost entirely on our ability to successfully and continually execute the basics. Uh, It became very clear to me that if we took care of the basics, the fundamentals, all the other fine detail kind of thing, that pretty much would take care of itself. Now, through the years, I will say that uh, we have gotten distracted from that uh, uh, method of operation, if you will. Uh, It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get our minds off the real basic important things, but I can say this, that those distractions uh, proved to be quite costly. And it soon became, you know, we need to, come on, get back to center. Let's focus on the basics and make sure they got done right. This is our commitment. It is a continued commitment, and as long as our business is in operation, this will be our focus to get the basics right, get the fundamentals right, and the other things will fall into place. You might say that we are devoted to those principles. The Apostle Paul in our text this morning encourages his audience to be devoted to one of the most basic and important Christian disciplines, and that's the discipline of prayer. Uh, it unfortunately, in our, because I include myself as well, It is easily neglected. It is we are easily distracted from it, and so that for many of us or all of us, uh, we find ourselves being distracted away from it, pulled away from it, and finding ourselves having to be drawn back to center and focusing on. Here is the basic thing. Here we must devote ourselves to prayer. Prayer is a is a paradox. In our Christian faith, we know that God is completely and absolutely sovereign, and yet our prayers make a difference. That's a great privilege we have to have an impact in that way. We're instructed to pray uh, by Jesus himself on more than one occasion, and he, of course, led by example on his devotion to prayer. Uh, One of my favorite parables we find in Luke chapter 18, verse one and this is the parable that Jesus tells about the widow and the unjust judge. And the widow continually went to the judge and said, "You know, give me, give me a, a relief from my opponent. You know, rule in my favor." And I love the way the judge responded. He said this. He said. Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet this woman by coming to me continually will wear me out. So I will give her what she asks for. Uh, we are to wear God out in what we ask for. And instead of being annoyed, like you know I would be if my kids continually came to me that way, time after time after time, God encourages it. God is pleased when we come to him in prayer. Um, So often we are guilty, I am as well, as saying something like this. Well, all I can do is pray. It's like, you know, I've looked at this situation, the jam I'm in, and here's what I figured out I can do. I can do this, 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 and this. And when I've exhausted all those things and I'm still in a bind, then I say, well, I guess all I can do is pray. And if you're like me, you've found yourself in that very same situation. Instead of prayer uh, being a last resort, it it should be what we go to first. We should be devoted to prayer. George Mueller says that um, he felt that God delayed his answer to our prayer because he enjoyed hearing from us and the squeaky wheel gets the grease, and you know when the, when the wheel is not squeaking, do we, do we go to God in prayer? You know, we're driven to prayer by need rather than by discipline and habit. We should devote ourselves to prayer. Uh, prayer is uh, not something where there's a magic formula. You know, it's not something like, if you follow these four or five steps, I can guarantee you good results. It's not like that. It's not like that at all. The A template for how we should pray is found in, the, in Jesus' response to the apostles' request for, uh, that he made or they made of him to teach them to pray. And we see that in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but that is a very good template. That is not the only way, however, we can pray. There is not a specific posture. There are not specific words. It is not the number of words. God is not impressed by our eloquence. But what he is impressed by is a sincere heart, and so as we are, the Bible refers to as pouring our hearts before God. It must be from a sincere heart, and that is that is one of the most important factors. Paul says that we ought to be alert in it. What does that mean? That means alert to be, you know, uh, you know, focused to be, uh, you know, not be falling asleep, not being distracted. You know, we're, Prayer is simply communicating with God. And all of us at one point in time or another have been like talking to somebody. And that other person we're talking to, or we've done it ourselves, you know, you see the eyes are going off there or going off yonder the other way. You know the guy's mind is a thousand miles away. You know, we're supposed to be alert. We're supposed to be on task. We're aware of who it is that we're talking to. We're communicating. You know, prayer is true, honest prayer is a humbling experience because we are aware, we are alert to who we are, and we're down here, and God is way up here. We're aware of that. We need to be alert and aware of what it is we're asking God for. You know, we need to be specific in our prayers. Uh, You know, so often our prayers can be so vague and nondescript, it's like God's saying, I don't even know what you want me to do. How do you expect me to answer? You know, it's just like, oh, Lord, I pray for the people in Pakistan. Well, there's nothing wrong with that except, you know, God's up there shrugging his shoulders. He says, well, what do you mean? Do you mean that I... You want me to provide for their physical needs. You want me to provide for their security. Uh, do you, you, know, you want protection from nat- uh, you know, from nat- uh, uh, natural disasters, say, or something like this. What, what, is he, what are you asking me for? No, we need to be specific. We need to be specific. So Paul says, devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it, with an attitude of thanksgiving. Paul, Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that he said that in all things we give thanks. And, you know, many times when we are coming to God in prayer, we are asking him for relief from a difficult situation that we find ourselves in. And we say, well, how in the world do you expect me to be thankful for this prayer? for this, you know, this very difficult situation I find myself in, very painful. How am I supposed to be thankful for that? The way we can be thankful for that is this, is when we have a greater and more complete understanding who God is and his faithfulness and his promises toward us, we can understand, Yeah, I'm not thankful for the pain, don't misunderstand me, but I am thankful for the fact that, I am held in God's hands, and he has made his promises to me that says he loves me, and he cares for me, and he wants what's best for me. And he really does see the big picture, and he sees the total landscape. And we can be thankful that we are held in the hands of a God who cares for us. And we have his promises that whatever happens to us, if we are his, if we are his children, he has promised us that he will cause All those things to work together for good. Not necessarily in our time frame, but in his time frame. And we have that promise. He wants nothing but good for us. We have this promise. So we can be thankful for that. We can be thankful that he hears us. You know, Christ secured that privilege for us at the cross. And when the temple veil was split down the middle it signifies that we have continuous access to the Holy of Holies. So 24-7, we have access to the top. Now, if you would desire to get a hold of President Obama for some reason and you have some suggestion or concern or criticism that you wish to relate to him and you call the White House switchboard, tell me what chance do you think you will have of talking to President Obama? You're going to get the undersecretary of the, of the assistant to the intern that is serving this week. And you're going to be eight or ten layers removed from the president, right? And while you might get a letter in the mail, you know, saying and it might be an official nice White House stationery and so on and so forth, the fact of the matter is that President Obama almost certainly knew nothing of what you were concerned about. But... We can be thankful we have access right to the top whenever we choose to. We neglect that to our discredit. We neglect that too often, don't we? We don't take advantage of that privilege that we have. We can be thankful that we have a God that always, not only does he hear us, but he always, always, always answers our prayer. My dear friend William Plants put it this way. He would say, God hears our prayer. Sometimes he says, yes, I grant that request. Sometimes he says, no, I have a better plan. And sometimes he says, yes, but not now. You know, that is a great privilege, you know, to know that our prayer is always answered. And I don't know about you, but I can speak from experience and I can say this, that they're the sweetest answers to my prayers have often been the no answers. The no answers. You know, and, and that has been what, what a great sense of peace that has given me, that no answer has given me. You know, the yes answer, you know, that's great. But oftentimes a no answer is so sweet and so precious. You know, we are at the right place, I believe, in our prayers if we say this. God... I really think that I want to go this direction over here. I see no reason I should not go this direction over here. There's nothing inherently wrong with this going this direction over here. But you know what? If you want me to go over here, I'm happy to do it. And I will thank you if, if, you, if you say it's okay to go over here. I will thank you for that answer, but I will equally thank you for that no answer that says you must go over here. He always answers our prayer. He says, yes, I grant that request. No, I have a better plan. Remember, we are in the hands of one who knows really what's best for us. And then the last one is the hardest one for me, and I'm really working on that one. And it's the yes, but not now. That's the hardest one. That's the hardest one to do is just to to, to be there and sit and wait and trust. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Paul is going to make some very specific instructions or give specific instructions of how he wants his audience to pray. He says says this, devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Now, three, three distinct prayers in here. The first one is to pray for open doors. Pray for opportunities to, you know, to, to proclaim the gospel message. Pray for the opportunity. Pray for the open door. Now, we've got to make sure that we're not prying the doors open. That it's God that's opening the door. Our job is not to open the door. That's His job. Pray for God to open those doors of opportunity. You know, it's it's sometimes I think we think we just need a bigger hammer or a better crowbar or something like that. No, God, we pray for God to provide the opportunity. So that's number one. Secondly, he said to speak forth the mystery of Christ. Okay, the door is open. There's an opportunity. And now let us speak and speak the gospel message, the mystery of Christ. Now, we talked about mystery In the past, and mystery is not some sinister type twilight zone, you know, uh, suspense thriller or something like that. What it is is just simply something that has not been fully known or fully understood up to that point. And, you know, you put yourself in the shoes of a a Hebrew around 10 centuries before Jesus was born, and somebody is going to say to him, What must I do to be saved? And, you know, this poor Hebrew, he's, going to, he's probably going to, going to have a tough time answering that. He's, you know, he's going to be a little fuzzy about the whole thing. He'll be aware of Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. It says, And Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he's going to say, Yeah, somewhere in there, belief and faith is really important, but I don't know exactly how that all plays out, and this idea of a Messiah and, and a Redeemer and everything, it's all kind of fuzzy, you know, Fast forward a thousand years, and Jesus is on the scene, and he fulfills all those Old Testament prophecies. And couple that with all the things that he said, and now, whoa, okay, the light comes on. Now I get it. Now I can connect the dots and put the pieces together. And, and now, you know, we've got, we got a real clear understanding of what the answer to that question would be. You know, and the mystery of Christ is just, you know, that this is the gospel message. It's all put together and it's, cl- it's clear, right? He says, so there's a second prayer. Give an opportunity. Let us speak. Let's, let's say something. The gospel message to these people. Now, stop us right there. This prayer... This asking for open doors and asking for the opportunity to present, to speak the gospel message, is one that I dare say most of us, all of us, are reluctant to pray in a certain way. Now, we're very willing to pray something like this. Lord, give Brennan an opportunity, an open door. He's good at going through those doors, you know. He's slender." Everything, everything, everything. or give Woody, you know, give Woody an open door. Give him an opportunity to proclaim the gospel message. You know, that's what we pay him to do, right? No. No. But if I change the pronouns from a second or third person pronoun to a first person pronoun, Lord, give me an open door. Lord, give me the opportunity to proclaim the gospel message, to speak forth, you know, the mystery of Christ. Whoa. Oh, no, no. No, I'm not up for that. You know, I don't do those kind of things. You know, I'm not good at that. You know, I, I, I'm not qualified. I don't know enough. You know, and I, I, what, what would I say? Is that you? It's me sometimes. Probably it's you too. You know, if you're concerned about the fact that you don't know what you're going to say once the door is open and you have this opportunity to share the gospel message, you're in very good company. Look at the rest of the verse. He says, so that I may make it clear in what I ought to say. This is Paul speaking. You know and he 's got twenty some years of professional full time ministry under his belt, and he 's saying, "I need help because i don't know i don 't know exactly what I ought to say you know there 's no cookie cutter solution you know you go through six steps and you turn left and, and follow it down three ways and, and you 're there to evangelism that does not exist. every situation is a unique situation, and yes, experience is helpful. But Paul had the realization, as should we, that we need help. We should comfort ourselves in knowing that the same person, the same God, that helped Paul, stands available to help us. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, and praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open the door for the for the word. That we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I've also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. He goes on and he says, Conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders, making most of the opportunity. Okay, you got got an open door, you got an opportunity to speak. Now you've asked for help, knowing what to say. Now, You need credibility. And I believe Paul is referring to something that I refer to as lifestyle evangelism. And that says, you know, that I'm going to make sure, Apostle Peter talked about it in 1 Peter chapter 2, making sure that your behavior is excellent among the Gentiles, you know, so that, you know, you've got a good reputation. You are known as a wise person, that you... You know, you handle things in a wise way, not as a fool. You know, I'm not very likely to want to listen to a fool. You know, most of us aren't. On the other hand, I'm very likely to pay attention to a person that I perceive as being wise. Now, say, okay, what, you know, this, are you, are you a fool or are you wise? How do you conduct your life? Do people at work, those people that know you, perceive you to be wise, or do they perceive you as being a fool? You know, what are some characteristics of being a fool or a wise person? We're not going to get into that in any detail. You can go, if you want, an instruction manual on, on what the Bible thinks is wise and what is foolish, go to the book of Proverbs. It lines it out. This is what a fool does. This is what a wise man does, you know. For example, you know, a fool despises instruction. He's unteachable. Why? Because the fool thinks he knows everything already. There's nothing I need to learn. I, I got it all. Whereas the Bible says, "What instruct a wise man, and he will become wiser still." You know, a wise man knows that he doesn't know everything. He knows what he doesn't know, and that's important. Many, many things in there. Go through, go through the Book of Proverbs, and you can see. You know. How does your lifestyle, how do you live your life out before the unbelieving world, the outsiders? This is what what Paul refers to here. How do you live it out? Are you perceived as wise or foolish? Now, there's a tendency here, and I know I've felt it, and I imagine most of you have felt it as well. To say something, there's a temptation to say something that goes like this, you know, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to let my life speak for me. And, you know, people will see that I am trustworthy and honest and, and all these other sort of virtues. And, you know, and they'll know that I'm a Christian and somehow, you know, they're going to connect the dots. And so I'm going to exercise this lifestyle evangelism. And I'll say, for us, that's a very, very poor idea. Why? Because people will never connect the dots. They will never look at your lifestyle and say, you know, oh, that's what a Christian looks like right there. Well, and that person person says he's a Christian, and and I'm going to examine my life compared to his. You know, he says he's honest. I'm honest. He says he's truthful. I'm truthful. He says I'm dependable. Hey, I'm dependable, too. That must mean what it means to be a Christian, you know. And, hey, I don't go to church for maybe once in a while, but that's okay. My my life lines up perfectly with that. There's no need for a Redeemer. There's no sense that we are sinners that need to be saved through that. How are they going to connect the dots? They simply will never connect the dots. And if you think, if I think that I'm going to do lifestyle evangelism, that I'm going to let my life speak for myself, I'm going to say this. Our LDS friends and neighbors do a way better job at it than most of us do, myself included. You know, some of my LDS pe- people that I know, friends, and neighbors, and so on, live life that are just so exemplary. We, You know, it's unbelievable. These are, these are people that I would trust with everything I own. And yet they're lost, aren't they? You know, the other day, Friday night after the musical, I was visiting with one of the members of the congregation here afterwards, and and he was relating a discussion he had with a woman that attended uh, attended the musical, and he he told me he says you know I'm very disturbed, and I says well what what are you disturbed about? And he said that this woman, I don't know if she's a co-worker or how he happens to know her, she told him, and she says to him, she says, great message. Why would you be disturbed about that? You know, if you were here on Friday or Saturday night, you know that Woody gave a very good conc- and clear, I think, presentation of the gospel message before before the, the musical started, right? Those of you here, yeah? Absolutely. And so this is what this woman was referring to. It's this great message. One problem. That woman is a, is a devout LDS. <laughs> and she heard Woody's presentation of the gospel message, and she thought, yeah, I'm right on with that. That sounds good to me. You know, so I'm, I'm here to tell you, that we cannot just simply let our lives speak for ourselves. You know, as faith without works was dead, so our wanting our life to speak for us without actually speaking it is also worthless and useless. In fact, worse than that, it will give people the false sense of, of, of their own condition before God. And if we're going to be speaking forth the mystery of Christ, guess what? Be prepared... For taking some time, you know, it's not going to be a two-minute encounter, and it's not likely to be with someone that you don't already have an established relationship with. And you, you, and I both have to be prepared to take the time. And so, if we're in discussion with one of our LDS friends or neighbors, we got to be prepared first of all to define our terms because this lady clearly thought that Woody was speaking her language. We have to be clear. We have to clarify with them the terms. We have to clarify with them who Jesus is and who God is. You know, Jesus is not Satan's brother. He is Satan's creator. And God was not once a man. And that LDS doctrine that said, As God is, so may we become, is, you know, is, is complete and utter heresy and blasphemy. But they will never know that until we define terms and we explain it to them. So, while we, yes, we need to have, we need to conduct ourselves with wisdom, we need to have an excellent personal testimony, if it is not combined with the speech and be willing to invest some time in that relationship, you know, it's not likely to go anywhere. So, okay, you got open door, opportunity to speak, you've got a good testimony. Now what? He says this, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt. You know, the whole gospel message is one of grace and mercy. You know, there there may be a prayer uh, a, excuse me, maybe a pray a place for hellfire and damnation, you know, and you know, fire and brimstone Type conversation, uh, but you want to be very, very careful where you know you exercise that thing and who you exercise it with. You know, our, our, our speech should always be with grace because that's how we're saved, and we ought to extend that to those that we're wanting to share with. You know, the old saying you attract more bees with honey than vinegar, you know, is true. You know, and if you if you come at them. You know, you need to do this, 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 and this, or you're going to go to hell. Guess what? The wall comes up. We're not going to hear another word you say. You know, a number of years ago, uh, a local Fallon pastor, I witnessed this personally, is at his home and knock, knock, knock on the door. Here were two Jehovah's Witnesses came to the door. And this pastor, well, he, he read them the riot act. And he's yelling at him and shouting at him and repent and do this and, you, and all this sort of thing. And they walked away. I heard him. They said, nobody should be treated like that. Like we just got. and you know my suggestion would be: Do you think you'd get a little more of an opportunity with these two Jehovah's Witnesses if you said, Do you do you have a few minutes that we can sit down with the Bible and I can show you, you know, God's biblical plan for salvation and what you must do and how you guys are off base? I think you'd have a chance anyway, you would had at least there would be that discussion. but you can't be going running people off your, our speech should be with grace as though seasoned with salt. Now what salt do? Salt preserves if you're talking about certain foods and so on and so forth, but it's, it's primary primarily an agent of flavoring and adds what palatability, pala, palatability to our food you know the gospel message in and of itself is offensive that whole concept that we're saved by grace through what Christ did for us you know and if we're if we're to be in heaven it's not because of what we've done it's because of what Christ did for us and it's you know it's that he's the one and we don't do it ourselves and it's in spite of what we've done that's all offensive to people on the on the surface it really is you know why i mean it it's contrary to the American way, right? You know, you work hard, you put your time in. You know, at the end of the day, you get, your, you get your retirement. Pull yourselves up by the bootstraps. You know, I'm a self-made man. All that goes completely contrary to that idea that it's not merit-based. We do not merit God's favor. It is a gift to us. That whole concept, by nature, can be offensive and is offensive to, to an unbeliever. But you know what? It's how we say it that's the key. So we can season it with salt. If our speech is with grace, it will be seasoned. It will be more palatable to those. We're not denying the truth. We have to stand for the truth. But so much of it is how we say what we say. In our speech, we with grace. And somehow, he he says, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Somehow or another... Somehow or another, having speech with grace aids, aids us, and, you know, it's part of being wisdom, I guess, so that we will know how we'll respond in each of those individual situations. Well, I want to close, and I want to close with a challenge to each of you here, each of us. And it's the challenge that Paul presents to his audience in this, in this text, you know, devote yourselves to Prayer. And in what way? To pray for the open door, to pray for the opportunity, and then to go ahead and pray for the opportunity to speak. And so what what I'm asking you, you to do is the same thing that those of us that meet on Wednesday nights for prayer made a commitment here a number of weeks ago, and that is we committed that we would daily, daily pray for five people, Could be more if you want. Five people that we know are outsiders of the faith that are not yet saved. These can be co workers, friends, whoever is placed on your heart to commit to pray for five people daily, every day, for their salvation. And you know, the instrument of God answering that prayer might be you, it might be someone else. You know, But pray in this manner to say, you know, God, open the door for me if necessary. If that's what you want, I want an open door for this person, whether it's me or somebody else that goes through it. But you know what? If you're saying, Bill, I put that person in your life for a reason, you're the guy that I am willing to go through that door. And I am willing to verbalize and take the time that's necessary in that relationship to share that gospel message. And I'm asking you to do the same. And you will say, well, for how long am I supposed to devote myself to prayer? And I'm going to say this, as long as it takes. You know, just as in our business, we are committed to to this concept of we are going to focus on the basics. And if we get the basics right, everything else falls into place. There is no sunset clause on there. There is no expiration date on that. I mean, this is the way it's going to be. If you come ten years from now, we're still that's still what our focus is going to be. Now, the technology may change as to how we implement those things, but the focus is going to be identically the same. And so, you know, we need to devote ourselves to prayer for the salvation of the lost. And, you know, how long will it take? Sometimes God answers that prayer quite quickly. Sometimes not. Sometimes he says yes, but not now. Um, Good example of that. Some friends of ours lived out in Reese Valley, out in the middle, between halfway between Austin and Battle Mountain, and, and a nice family. And the man uh, it was just—you couldn't help but like him. Just a great guy. Just a, you know, just a just a great guy. That's all you can say. Just the guy you loved. But he was an adamant unbeliever. In fact, I heard with my own ears him ridiculed Christian faith. His wife, on the other hand, was a firm, strong Christian. Well, this man contracted pancreatic cancer at about the age of 60. And I was so happy because I heard a week before he died, he came to Christ. One week. Don't want to wait that long. I don't want to wait that long. Well... Went to the memorial service and I was talking to his widow. And I said, oh, so happy that that he came to Christ before he, before he died. I said, that's an answer to prayer. She says, no. She says, that's an answer to 35 years of prayer. <laughs> As, you know, we laugh. So you ask me how long I'm asking for a commit from you to pray for those that are lost, to do it day in and day out? I don't know. It's just ongoing. You know, when Paul said, devote yourself to prayer, he there's no clause on there. It doesn't say, well, for the next ten days or, you know, until next January or whatever it might be. No, it's an ongoing thing. You know, and so I'm asking you to commit to pray for at least five people on a daily basis that don't know Jesus. And we'll see what happens. I don't know. You know, and we must ask ourselves... If we're unwilling to do that, why would that be? Why would that be? You know, I can share from personal experience, you know, I've had the opportunity in the past to share that gospel with, uh, with at least one person, and that person went to his grave and I had not said anything. Terrible feeling. You may, some of you probably felt that as well. You know, and we can try to console ourselves in in saying this, well, you know, God can do anything and all that other kind of stuff. You know, and that's true. He can. And did he need me to save that person? No. But I, you know, what did I do? I stood by and watched. I was afraid to say something. I don't want that feeling again. And, you know, I'm just saying, you've you got to care enough about the people you know to pray for them. You've got to care that much. Well, we're going to go now to communion. And if the people that are helping serve want to come up. At the homestead over the last couple months, I've kind of camped out, if you will, on one verse. And that verse is one of our uh, church's memory verses, and it's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And it goes like this. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And so where I've gone with that verse, uh, it's been really precious to me. Uh, you know, the implications of that verse. Uh, where we've gone with that is we've said, okay, what are some of the ways that God rewards us when we come to faith in Jesus? What, are, what does that look like? And. You know, you can go on on and on and on a long ways, but we looked at a few of them. One of them was Romans chapter 5, verse 1, another one of our memory verses, and that says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what what that verse tells us is that, you know what, being justified is being declared righteous. And so we are declared righteous before we actually are. That's quite a reward, isn't it? And he goes on, and he says, Therefore, having been justified justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And how valuable is peace to you? Uh, Our country as a whole, you know, has been insulated from war in a practical sense for a long time. And, you know, you might have... Uh, You might know someone that has been involved in in some of the wars in Afghanistan or Iraq or something like that. So it might be more personal for you. For most of us, you know, it's, it's just something that comes on the news. And we might know people that are in the military and we love them and respect them and everything like that. But it hasn't touched me personally. You know, so we take peace for granted. Peace is precious. Ask those poor people in Syria how how important peace is. Peace is precious. But in this case, he's talking about peace of another kind, I believe, and that peace is relationally. Relational peace. In this case, a, a relational peace with God. Now, pretty much all of us in here have experienced the absence of peace at some point in time between people. You know, uh, you know, I don't know where you've been as far as, as, far as your relationships. Some of you have, have gone through divorces and, and, and so on. There have been problems. I don't care if your kid's in school. There have been problems with your friends, right, when you're at odds. And, you know, there, there's a real tension there. And how important is peace? It's real important. And, and Apostle Paul says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Everything is smoothed out. Everything is smoothed out. That's a great, that's a great feeling to have. And many others went through Galatians, a few of the Galatians, uh, chapter five things you know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, so on and so forth. All those things we talk about, all those things are rewards that we have because we've come to faith in Jesus. To gifts. That's, a, that's quite a gift, all those things, all those things we can mention. But just as freedom is not free, those rewards were not free. And they were purchased for us by our Savior on the cross. <laughs> it wasn't free for him. And so that's what we're about right now. We're about remembering that and commemorating that, you know, what he did for us so that we might know all these things, and there's a ton more, right? You you can go down the list. You, <laughs> it's full. There's a lot more promises uh, and, and rewards that we have received because of what Jesus has done for us. So uh, as the men are handing out the, commun- at the communion elements, uh, be mindful of that. How How has that impacted your life? And how grateful are you? It's easy, you know, to... Uh, you know, kind of this is kind of an ordinary thing. This is a thing we kind of do on a regular basis, and it's easy to easily for me too to be taken take for granted. You know, and so be thinking about that. Be be aware of that as uh, as the men are handing out the communion. want to commemorate what Jesus did to make all those things uh, possible for us and uh, if you're grateful if you're grateful for that
1: commemorate that right now Dale would you pray for us please Father as we uh Take of the of the juice here and remember what it represents. It represents the blood of your Son, which was shed upon the cross. And uh, we praise you for that. We praise you for uh, the gift of your Son. We praise you for His willingness to to go to the cross to to be uh, crucified and Lord yeah, to shed His blood to atone for our sins to uh, give us his righteousness and to take our sins upon him and be punished in our place and lord we just praise you for that and we praise you lord that uh, this sacrifice was uh, a perfect sacrifice as evidenced by the fact that death could not hold jesus and that he rose again so let us we do this help us to remember It is only because of Christ and his righteousness that we can have a right relationship with you. And by partaking of that, we admit, Lord, that we are sinners, that we have no righteousness within ourselves. And it is only through Christ and his righteousness and accepting that, that we can have communion with you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: this uh, this juice is representative of Christ's blood and of course blood is the very essence of life you know if we don't have blood uh, or if we have defective blood uh, you know we will not survive and uh, uh, the giving of our blood uh, is done in understanding that if it continues we will perish we will die and Jesus willingly gave that up. And it wasn't just <laughs> wasn't just as a way that somebody put a, uh, a catheter uh, in his arm and he just drained it out and uh, eventually he uh, lost consciousness and died. But the way he lost his blood is remarkable and unique and, uh, and at great pain and great anguish. And uh, so we remember that now and uh, we... We thank God for what he did for us in Jesus' name.